In John's gospel, he records Jesus using that phrase, I am, to describe himself at least seven times. You remember that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. These statements no doubt irritated the religious leaders to a breaking point. For as they heard Jesus speak these words, they were audacious claims. And he was using language that for them would have been sacrilege. And they applied that same standard to Jesus. So what he was saying was something not only that they did not want to hear, but it was something that was offensive in their minds to God himself. You remember the story that might have set this in motion, this way of thinking. Moses, as he has escaped that land of danger in order to work for his father-in-law Jethro is up on the precious mountain one day Horeb and while he is there he sees this bush that is aflame without being consumed and a voice calls to him Moses, Moses, and then identifies himself after Moses asks that he is the God of his people, his father. And he gets this instruction, remove your shoes because the land that you're standing on, this very ground is holy. And as Moses receives instruction that God has heard the situation of his people and their pain and suffering, and that he has chosen Moses to go and to lead them out of their captivity, Moses says they will want to know who sent me and so God says tell them I am who I am or I will be who I will be these are words that are not repeated because they are so holy in all of the Hebrew scripture those words, I am, are reserved for God alone. In fact, you would not use the word of the Lord thy God. Or it would be taken in vain to speak those 
syllables that would only address the Almighty. And yet here, Jesus is using these words, I am. In today's scripture, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Surely he would have been familiar with a number of fruits. He would have known what dates were. Those were almost like candy in Jesus' day. He would have known what pomegranates were. He would have known what figs were. He would have known surely what olives were. You remember the times that he went to the Mount of Olives in order to be in prayer. But grapes, they were everywhere. Everybody had this deep sense of respect for grapes. For there were vineyards and there were grapevines. Whether they were in a vineyard or in someone's backyard, they were everywhere. I knew an old preacher. He was, he was getting old even when I first was around here. But sure enough, he's old now. Some of you may know the name Tom Johnson. Uh, God bless Emmy who passed recently. Tom Johnson was the pastor at First United Methodist Church here in Statesboro uh, from 1972 to 1976. Now, I really got to know Tom better when I was appointed down in southwest Georgia to serve the first church that I was ever given responsibility for and Tom was the district superintendent in the Thomasville district. I can remember the first charge conference I ever had and he showed up at our house and I was still folding bulletins when it was time to be on the road to the church and he said let me help you with that. Tom was a special fella but if you spent any time around Tom he would want to talk about his horticultural skills. He loved his grapevines. Up in Oxford, Georgia, where his family had an old home place, down in the lower part of that property behind the house, he had grapevines galore planted there. And he would tend them all through the year. And he would gather the grapes when they would come in. And then he would put on his hat and sit out by the road and sell them to anybody who would stop. What I, I remember Tom sharing with me is the importance of pruning those grape vines at the right time. Always late winter or early, early spring, he would say. Can you imagine what those grapevines were like, what they would be today? Because I know that he's been tending them for at least some 70 to 80 years. Can you imagine how robust those vines must be? This picture is a good expression of that. Can you see that is not a tree there? 
That is a vine off which that bunch of grapes has grown. What a powerful thing to think about. It is true, this vine of which Jesus speaks his connection. It is true, this source of life for the plant that gives it everything that it possibly could need in order to survive, even to thrive. I have been reflecting in these last few moments on this hymn that we use to begin our worship service. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing um, is a Charles Wesley hymn. Some of you may remember our old hymnal that had as its first hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. You remember that? And finally, the good Methodists up in Nashville came to their sense and said, we ought to start our hymnal with a Charles Wesley hymn. And so, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, and we sang, leaving out, I feel sorry for the sixth verse, but we had to choose at least one to leave out today, right? We sang seven verses. But you should be glad to know that we did not sing all 18 verses of that hymn. <laughs> and in your hymnal, if you look on page 57, you find the seven verses there that are most common for us to use. But if you turn the page to 58, you will see, well, you'll see 17 verses there. One of those verses is still missing, an 18th verse that was a part of the original hymn. Fascinating, fascinating. Originally, this was not called, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. In fact, when Charles Wesley wrote this, it was on the anniversary of his conversion, and so he entitled it for the anniversary day of one's conversion. In fact, it was what he considered to be his conversion. In May of 1738, he, and then three years, three days later, his brother John Wesley found themselves so moved by the power of the Spirit in their lives that they were transformed and unable to even explain this fully to their saintly mother. When they wrote her about what had been happening in their lives, her response was, I think that you've fallen into an odd way of thinking. She went on to say, you say that till within a few months you have had no spiritual life and no justifying faith. I heartily rejoice that you've attained to a strong and lively hope in God's mercy through Christ. Not that I can think that you were totally without saving faith before, but it is one thing to have faith and another thing to be sensible we have it. Now, what she was meaning there is it is one thing to have faith and another to be aware that you have faith. How sad, how sad to go through life being a person of faith that you believe in God, but there is no sense of investment 
of the Spirit in your life and in my life to change really anything about who we are and what we're doing. Out of all the words that are a part of that hymn, it's verse 4 that really grips me. Do you remember what we sang just a few moments ago? He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. What does it mean to say, He breaks the power of canceled sin? There are some people that have it in their minds that once you're saved, you can close the book then on that part of your life. Oh, Charles and John Wesley would never have suggested that. For them, salvation was this lifelong journey. And for Charles to put those words down, he breaks the power of canceled sin. I can guarantee you that what he was saying is that God was steadily giving him strength to move from where he was in his life before to where he needed to be. What a powerful thing to embrace that. One of the things that that, that old preacher Tom Johnson always did was to prune. As I've already mentioned, he would prune. He would clip the edges of that vine before it was time for it to fully sprout forth in order to guide it and help it to be more fruitful. The vines are tended and shaped with care. And truly, even though it might seem severe, the gift of pruning allows for the plant to be what it was intended to be. I knew a man who worked as a hospital volunteer. He had retired a few years before. And in the occasion of my many conversations with him, as I went into that hospital to make visits, I realized that he was a person of faith. And in fact, he made no bones about it. He was constantly talking about his faith. It was obvious that... God had done something very, very precious in his life. He said to me one day, he said there were years I would get up in the morning and never give God a thought. It ain't that way no more. And I don't mind telling anybody about it. That is a life that has been pruned by the good graces of God and set free to be as fruitful as God needs all of us to be. I live with a gardener who lovingly talks to her plant. I'm telling about Sue now. Especially 
she is interested in the well-being of her plants. For Mother's Day, I asked her what she wanted. And she said, I need some new garden shears. And so we bought her the finest garden shears that are on the market. And lovingly, I have watched her as she will lean down over her plants and speaking to them will snip and will pinch parts of the plant that the plant doesn't know that it does not need. But Sue knows that they do not need these parts of themselves. And it's amazing in this process how the plants will respond. Some read judgment into this passage of Scripture. They see this threatening nature that the, that the branches that are non-cooperative will be thrown into the fire. That's all they can get in their minds. This cutting away, this pruning away, this severity that is so threatening and miss the whole point of the passage. For this surely is a passage about promise. For those of us who will give ourselves to the idea that God is fully present to us in the events of our life, no matter what we are encountering, even in those things that feel so harsh that God is able and is willing to establish within us something that is more fruitful than we ever could imagine. Jesus spoke these words, remember, on the eve of his own crucifixion. He spoke these words to his disciples whom he had been pruning all along and who would continue to receive pruning from a Lord who loved them dearly. We would do well to remember that the fruit which Jesus describes is not for our consumption. <laughs> it is for others. This is the ultimate in pruning. For us to realize that that which God has given to us and all that it has taken to get us to that right place of bearing fruit, it is for the good of creation for all of the world. Think vineyard here, clipping and pruning away that which is dead and useless for the good of the one who planted the vineyard in the first place. A couple came to my office they were 
probably in their mid to late 40s. And they said, we want just a little bit of your time. I said, come right in. And we sat down and they said, we just wanted to share with you something that we think is very unusual. She said, we have been faithful members of the church for a while now, but we have never been what we would consider to be tithers. We have been givers, but we've never been what you would consider to be tithers, giving the percentage of 10% to the Lord's work through the church. I said, not everyone does that. And she lifted her hand and she said, give me a moment here. I said, I'm listening. And she went on to say, about a year ago, we made the decision to step out and simply do that to move from where we were in our giving to this place that required a lot of faith in order to say, yes, we will do this kind of giving. And she said, it's been amazing what has happened since then. And then he spoke out and he said, we have more money now than we ever did. I said, what? He said, we have more money now than we ever did. I said, God has blessed you with an inflow. He said, no. No, he said, you misunderstand. He said, no. He said, he said what has happened with us? We have, we've realized that God has not sent us extra money in order that we would have more money at the end of the month. But what we realize has happened is that in our giving ourselves through the tithe to the work of the Lord, to the funding of ministry, that now we look at everything differently. Every purchase that we make, every expenditure is through the eyes of our commitment to Christ. And they said, we still are mystified at it. But we want less. We consume less. And somehow at the end of the month, <laughs> and he shook his head and said, we have more than we ever did. Stewardship and this connection with Christ is crucial. Jesus says here, those who abide in me and I in them. And I love that word. Abide is a beautiful word, isn't it? Abide in me. As I abide in you, this indwelling, this intimacy, 
that helps us with any choices that we have to make. That helps us to be the fruitful people that God is calling us to be. This, this talk of giving may rub you the wrong way. But I see it as a necessary thing, not just for you, but for me. And it's not about institutional preservation. God will make the institution of Pittman Park last as long as God wants Pittman Park to last. That's not dependent on us. But I can tell you that what is dependent on us is our waiting father who is wondering how fruitful might these disciples be. This talk of giving is about allowing God to shape us, allowing God to form us, allowing God to use us. And also we should remember that these words are to the community of us, not just the individuals of us. In fact, I, I found a translation that really puts this in southern ease. And so listen to this translation of the seventh and eighth verses of this passage. If y'all are remaining in me... <laughs> And my words remain in y'all. Whatever y'all would be wishing, ask, and they shall be for y'all. In this thing my Father is glorified, that y'all would be bearing much fruit, and y'all would be my disciples. Does anybody here speak Southern? Did you get it? This is for us. We do stewardship not as these satellites that are just in our own orbits, but we do stewardship together. And so this is the lesson from the, the vineyard. This is the lesson from the vineyard that I hope you'll take with you. Stewardship is something that we do together and that God will correct us and prune us and guide us if we will remain in Him and allow Him to remain in us.